it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-age kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. That's oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids. But I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yeah. Here's your host, Danita Bailey. Well, welcome to School Days, Help for Moms and Dads of School-Aged Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. No two kids are alike, probably not even in your own home. We were all given unique personalities that dictate how we react in certain situations and what drives us forward to accomplish a goal. As parents, we want our kids to thrive academically, and we are their chief motivators and accountability partners in that journey. Knowing what will ignite a joy of learning and desire for achievement in each of our kids is crucial to this process. A few weeks ago, I came across a TED Talk by Jennifer Nassif in which she described a scenario where she was at a party and was trying unsuccessfully to get her four daughters to behave. Finally, having enough, she told them to get themselves together or they were going to leave. All four girls reacted differently and her threat backfired. Mm. And then she said something that really got me. Why do we so often give one instruction to different people expecting the same outcome? I knew that this was something that I wanted to explore and that was the inspiration for our show today. So before we go any further, let me just say it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, Link it in and add the hashtag school days show and hashtag I am school days. And also we want you to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 214-431-5062. Without further ado, let me introduce my guest. Alicia Woodall is a licensed professional counselor, LPCS, motivational speaker and founder of Finding the Foundation, a private counseling practice based in Dallas, Texas. She is also the founder of Village Moms, an online mommy forum designed to support and maintain the sanity of women with children. I love that. An online mommy forum. Yeah. Sanity. It's key. That's helpful. It is, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Through professional counsel and curriculum design, Alicia assists clients along their journey of self-discovery and heightened self-awareness. So thank you for so, so much for coming. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Okay, well, let's just jump right in. Okay. Why is understanding personality helpful in parenting? Well, as you were just describing in the the um, example that you gave, it does determine how you interact and your best um, interaction with a person based on understanding their personality. So when we know more about a person's personality, it dictates how we interact with them and how we get the best response. We found that in like a human resources, people that use this kind of psychology in working with their employees have better outcome and productivity when they're working with them individually versus this global everyone do this one thing. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's not um, always achievable in larger companies or organizations, but in smaller organizations, they've seen a lot of progress with making a note of how a person's personality um, plays a part in how they complete their job. Mm-hmm. And it can be a little bit more difficult in practice, I've noticed, because, you know, after I watched this TED Talk, I was like, okay, 
what can I, let me assess my children, first of all. Yeah. And then the getting up and getting ready in the morning is the the worst yeah. for us. And so I, after I watched that TED Talk, I was like, okay, well, what, what can I do to see if they will um, react differently? So I actually, my, um, my, my youngest child, my daughter, is uh, seven. And so I told her, if you get ready and you don't, you know, cause much, many problems this morning, I'll give you a gold star. Mm-hmm. So literally, like I wrote it on an index card. <laughs> so I said that for her. And then for my oldest child, he really wants to get out the house. He is, um, he wants to get to school early so he can play with his friends. So that was what I told him. If you help the kids get out of the house and kind of be in charge of that, then mm-hmm. you can do that. And then my middle child, uh, I don't even remember what I told him, but it actually worked. When so I different gave, motivating factors yes. for each personality type. Yes. It, it matters. Because, you know, like that example, again, where you give one blanket response that this is what's going to happen. Two of those kids were probably like, well, good. I wanted to leave anyway. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And whereas the other one, it was really effective. Like, no, I, I want to stop so I can stay because I really want to enjoy this. But it really does depend on you knowing what will work best for each child, which in families with multiple children can become quite a task mm-hmm. because you are atoning to each of those different personalities. Um, and that can be problematic for a myriad of reasons because it looks a certain way to each kid. Mommy's doing gold stars over here, giving privileges out here for over here. So it really becomes a managing act. Right, for you because then you've got to do extra stuff. <laughs> and then add in your personality, right? Because per- the parent's personality matters too. Right. And so when you have, especially when you have a child whose personality may be um, direct opposite of yours, that mm-hmm. can be problematic or at least difficult, <laughs> you know, challenging to say the least. Right. Um, trying to accommodate a personality style that is so um, contrary to yours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what determines a personality? So there's a lot that determines personality, genetics being a, a factor, but also you've heard the whole um, nurture, nature-nurture debate, right? Mm-hmm. What makes a person? And so there's this thing. So it's a combination of genetics, but also a combination of experiences and things that you are ha- that are happening to you in your life and the way that you perceive those things. Mm-hmm. Um, foundationally, genetics play a part, but also the environment compounded with those genetics okay. together is going to create the personality over time. And then also you have a lot of... Um, socially normative things like people hearing that you are a certain astrological sign like that plays a part in the mentality as well like oh I have some of those traits and that begins to kind of dictate how you behave and over a period of time you behave a certain way you will adapt and say this is who I am based on these experiences Mm -hmm. so I would say I mean of course science is genetics heavy I would say I'm a nature nurture debate I'm much more on nurture okay nurture being personality yeah what about things like trauma Absolutely. Those are the experiences that we're talking about. So certain traumas or experiences, depending on how they are perceived or how they are experienced, will absolutely dictate personality and behavior going forward. Mm-hmm. Trauma being a major one. Yeah. Um, does um, culture um, change a, a personality as well? I wouldn't say how it does change, it? but it definitely will um, form. It, yeah, form, enhance. Certain personality traits in certain cultures may not be as acceptable just because they're, again, adversary to what's normative in that particular culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think regardless, and say, for example, a personality trait of, um, you know, being more extroverted, that's going to be a- across the board no matter which culture you come from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just may be displayed differently based on those cultural cultural norms. Right. Mm-hmm. How fixed is personality? Is this going to, you know, is, is my baby or <laughs> my toddler going to be the same person when they're, you know, eight, five? <laughs> no. And I think I think personality evolves over time, as do we. Right. And mm-hmm. um, 
so I think you may see hints of it. So there are parts of me that I think have been the same since I was a child. I've always been this inquisitive person. As a child, it looked like a, a little kid who's asking way too many questions to the adults, <laughs> right? As an adult, it looks like a therapist who asks questions for a profession. Right. So it does evolve. Um, I wouldn't say fixed as much as it's moldable. It kind of grows and you figure out what works for you and what doesn't. And that becomes your norm and what, um, how you thrive and survive based on those behaviors. Mm-hmm. I know that I, you know, Dave, my husband will always um, make fun of me when I was in middle school in the summertime, I used to go around the house and clean the entire house every single day. But that was just something to keep myself busy. But yeah. it was also something I just kind of really enjoyed. <laughs> also mm-hmm. but I'm totally like that today still to this day I, I really love order I love cleanliness I love you know mm-hmm. organizing things but I've pretty much been like that probably from the womb yeah mm-hmm. so a lot of traits that you see in kids you'll see just another version of that in their adult selves mm-hmm. um, and like I said it evolves and it molds based on their experiences different traumas can impact that different things that happen in life can alter or change maybe mute those things because at some point you determine that that behavioral trait didn't work for me effectively mm-hmm. right being extroverted and maybe speaking out and having a traumatic experience and then deciding to mute that a little bit doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it necessarily goes away but behaviorally we may adapt and not exercise it or exert it as much. Right. So when can we start seeing some of these traits and personalities kind of pop out on our kids? I mean, like I was saying, I, I was kind of, kind of feel like I was like this from the womb, but I'm guessing mm-hmm. not. But probably, I think um, with your with our children, we can see them as early as they're able, like when they're toddlers, you see their personality traits. You don't ne- you can't necessarily name it and say that's what this is, but you can tell a shy baby from an extroverted baby. I think it, immediately upon interaction with other human beings, you can kind of notice uh, some of these things. Again, if we keep the concept that they're going to evolve and grow over time, you'll see them more strongly um, as they're young children, but I think they're evident, mm-hmm. a toddler. Uh, yeah, I think, I know for my son, it was evident that he was an attention seeker. You know, he was extroverted. He was very dramatic at an early age, and that was noticeable. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen just overnight now that he's seven, you know? It was noticeable when he was a small child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about with your kids? Did you notice it? So that's a good question. I know that my daughter, she is still shy. So she was the she was the toddler who was afraid to step off the curb. Mm-hmm. Literally, she she would she would sit there and just very pensively like uh, I don't know if this is this is going to happen. She's really come out of her shell in the last couple of years, and yeah. she's the kind of kid who doesn't mind getting on stage and um, performing. And so she's I thought she was just going to be a little mousy, and but she's mm-hmm. actually got quite a lot of personality. So her personality has evolved into more personality than you first assumed oh yeah yeah yeah. my um oldest dj he's 11 um he has been the very never met a stranger kind of person um always very happy kid since birth he was that baby (laughs) yeah so yeah they uh, in in certain levels they've evolved a little bit but Mm -hmm. you know kind of have stayed the same yeah yeah that's pretty common, I think. You see some things, and you're like, that'll be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And some things, you're kind of like, mm, I hope that's not there. <laughs> I hope that hope it grows out of that one, yes? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. There are ones we see that we hope they grow out of. Because yes. you can see where that would evolve into. Mm-hmm. You can see where certain traits, that could be bad for, you know, an older, an, an adult. Right, right, right. Um, so let's just kind of talk about uh, the five, they call them the big five the big personality five. traits. So can yeah. you tell us what they are and kind of what the what they look like? Yeah, so there's the openness trait. This is going to be the kid that is, um, they have no problem talking out loud or speaking out, being open with other people. 
conscientious. They're going to pay attention to detail, um, way more focused. These are people that we think may evolve into more type A personalities. They're very strategic, right, and thoughtful in what they're doing, mindful of what's happening and what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. There's extroversion. I think the extra, anytime you say extrovert, it speaks for itself, right? Yeah. That person is outspoken. Um, they have no problem being front and center. They also have no problem um, with social stimuli, which is huge mm-hmm. as far as the ability that the social stimuli fuels them versus takes away from them. There are some right. people that are introverted that social stimuli will actually work against their personality, make them shrink. Mm-hmm. Whereas extroverts, it fuels them. They're going, right. You're going to see best energy with them with stimulus. stimulus. Mm-hmm. Um, agreeable. These are people. And so recently there's been some changes to the big five. Um, agreeable being one of them. They So you have the acronym OCEAN for the big five. Agreeable, I believe, was changed to competitive. And so, hmm. yeah. And so the best way to describe agreeable meaning that you're non-competitive. You just want everybody to get along let's all just make this thing work we can all hold hands and do this thing you know accommodate one another but they since changed that to competitive because who wants to be called disagreeable right (laughs) so (laughs) so it's more about a matter of are you competitive or non-competitive then there's um, neuroticism which is I like to call these the people who are very emotional people mm-hmm. right they ha- everything is about emotion everything is a feeling and they can feel everything to the sense that they will have these very extreme highs as far as if they're feeling really good or feeling you know um received and they can have extreme lows and mm-hmm. we can with children we see that in tantrums right so the more that you see their inability to manage their emotions neuroticism is there and then lastly since they've added the since they've changed it a, a bit to the big five is uh, honesty and humility our traits oh, okay some of these get kind of a bad rap yeah like uh, introversion is definitely one and um, neuroticism neuroticism right and that's why with neuroticism I'm much more a fan of emotional management right yeah. because that's what it really is it really does speak to whether or how this person manages their emotions mm-hmm. you hear neurotic and you think whoa that's a problem right where it's just it's more so a personality style that feels a lot and um, responds to that feeling mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah. Um, and introversion, you know, I'm wondering, are those shy people or like you mentioned with the extroversion and in, in, in the introversion, it's where they get their um, where they get their fuel from? Yes. Right? So introversion, we think of introversion, we think of people who are antisocial. And the, really the truth is that it's more so someone that's fueled by their own inner things that are going on within themselves versus that external stimuli that you would have with an extrovert. Mm-hmm. Extroverts are fueled by stimulus introverts are fueled by what's happening within them and what they're processing mm-hmm. so um and i've recently heard of a term have you heard of ambivert no, oh yes that's probably me Th- so that's the person who is <laughs> is that the you're introverted what is it um an extra i call it extroverted introvert meaning yes. that you're comfortable in either but yeah you're but do you prefer one over the other or not necessarily well i don't think you're necessarily an introvert per se but I know that it's a combination of the two. I just learned this. I'm, I think I have a huge vocabulary. And so when I heard Amber, I was like, what? I feel like y'all have left me. I felt left out from the uh-huh. vocabulary kingdom. <laughs> How did I not know this word exists? I've been going around saying I'm an introverted extrovert. Right. But, but it's an ambivert. An, yeah, there's an actual term. I am absolutely that because I, you know, my husband's a, a true extrovert. I'm a, I'm an, an ambivert apparently, <laughs> but I don't mind being like on stage because I actually I help lead worship at, mm-hmm. at church but I also cannot stand being at parties and having to make um, 
small talk with people that I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've, I've actually learned as I've gotten older and been in business for a while to do that. But that used to be like terrifying to me. Yeah. So I kind of can go between the two. And if I have a purpose in a situation, that is very, very helpful to me mm-hmm. versus if I'm just kind of going. Yeah. <laughs> and so purpose would be that introvert part of it. Like I'm mm-hmm. fueled by there's a reason for this. There's mm-hmm. a, this. I feel I feel passionately about this. Therefore, I'm able to do these extroverted things Mm -hmm. because it's passion. But if there's no passion there, I'm not really interested in doing. Does that make sense? Like, so it's the stimulus that matters more so than it is the action. I think a lot of times in conversation, we think of it as the action. Introverts want to be at home in the closet. No, introverts (laughs) are fueled by internal passions and purpose and things that within them, whereas external are fueled by the applause. They're fueled by the recognition, the awards, the gold stars matter, right? Mm -hmm. I want to get a collection of gold stars because when I look at that, it fuels me to do even more so I can get more gold stars. Mm -hmm. So it's a different type of stimulus more so than it is an actual behavior or external activity. Yeah. Let's talk more about that because, you know, you just mentioned a couple of things that are motivating to the extrovert and the introvert. Mm -hmm. What's motivating to the other there's six aren't there now that there's humility yeah, and whatnot there, there are other yes but i think if we keep it limited to just focusing about the extrovert and the ext- intrinsic and extrinsic okay. motivation those two kind of keep it simple mm-hmm. um extrinsic being again that needing that stimulus from the outside intrinsic meaning i needed to feel good to me i needed to feel right with my purpose or make some sense to me within mm-hmm. and so those motivating factors if you know that personality trait you reward based on knowing that mm-hmm. um whereas a child who's more motivated by intrinsic things giving them a gold star is like okay right thank you right it's interesting we had a show about gifted and talented students Mm -hmm. and they're uh, very motivated by intrinsic things versus extrinsic things like uh, the high achieving kids are different they are going to want the gold star the good grades the praise and things like that versus the gifted and talented kids are really more motivated by I want to find out the answer to this question or I want to you know whatever it is that internally is going to move them along Mm -hmm. did you see it was there a correlation there between the two as far as being high achievers and being more likely to be Extrinsic or intrinsic motivated? Yeah, actually, that's how you um, determine which is which, if, whether they're high achievers or if they're gifted and talented is what part, one of the ter- determinants is what is their motivating factor? Are they oh. really going to be more concerned about the applause and the praise versus the GT kids are really going to be more concerned about, hey, I want to know why the, you know, why there's five levels to the remote control and how I can put it back together. I genuinely want to understand that. Mm-hmm. For, all right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. exactly. Interesting. So do most of us kind of fall squarely within one personality type or do we kind of have several of these? I think it's a nice merge of all of them. Um, You don't it's not like there's just you're just you're an open person and that's across the board. There are different times that I think all of these different personality traits can be exhibited in our behaviors and Mm -hmm. interactions with people. And they may change based on environment at work. I may have more of these traits because it suits me better at my job with my family. I may notice more of these traits, but across the board, I think we're using each of them. They're fluctuating, Mm -hmm. right? There is no fixated thing that this is just how I am, no matter where I am. And I think that type of thinking kind of boxes us in, which is why I think as we talked earlier about the, when we have these personality tests, how that can be so limiting to sometimes. And for certain personality traits, it can actually box them into believing I should be this way all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the case with humans. Mm-hmm. We just function differently. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the personality test. Cause I, I sent you a text and I said, tell me which <laughs> personality test you like. And you said you don't I like don't. them. So tell me about that. I'm not really a fan of them just because for that 
reason, I'm not a fan of anything that puts us into boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I, from human behavior, from what I understand, we just, we adapt and we, we change and we evolve all the time. And I get why some people really enjoy them because it helps put into words. I've always wanted to describe myself and this test helps me accurately do that. Mm-hmm. But then you have the ones who the outcome isn't favorable to what they see of themselves and mm-hmm. all of a sudden it creates a conflict. Like that's not how I see myself at all. But the test says you're clearly a EING or whatever, J. Um, and so then it beca- an internal conflict from what I understand of human behavior can be one of the most devastating things. When there's an mm-hmm. internal conflict that you can't resolve, that can be problematic. So I just, I'm not a fan of anything putting a a hat on it and mm-hmm. this is just what it is I do understand why some people like it and need it though right because personality is something that is actually fluid and yes. that can evolve mm-hmm. um, and so putting putting your kids in a, in a shy box or a, you know extroverted box or whatever um, right. can be very limiting and um, yeah because you know I actually asked my mom in um, in um, in preparation for this show I called my mom and I said okay mom so who was I when I was a little girl yeah and she <laughs> it wasn't what I thought she was gonna say really <laughs> no, what no. was her description her description was you were extremely smart which hey I'll take that <laughs> <laughs> you were extremely smart and you were uh, extremely shy and didn't say much. Mm-hmm. And I am shy. I, you know, I've said that I'm, I'm an introvert, but I didn't. I expected her to say funny <laughs> or something. I got nothing. I got yeah. shy and intelligent. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. She said, really, your personality did not come out until college. Mm. Which is another reason why those boxes are limiting, because I think a lot of people kind of say, you know, college is where I really found my footing, is where I really felt Mm -hmm. like I became into my own, and I understood who I was and how I wanted to operate and move. Because if you think developmentally with kids, especially middle school, there's so much trying to adapt to what's around me and what looks good. You don't really start getting into your own groove until those later years where you maybe stop being as concerned with the group norm or what the group thinks. And so to put yourself in this box of personality from that from that environment where you're trying to just kind of develop, um, I think is limiting. You get older and you look back and say, oh, I've I've always been this way, but I gradually became this. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people can or recall coming into their own around college. I know for me, I was always a a book nerd or, you know, I feel like a a booky person, a bookworm. Um, But then when I got to college, it became cool to be a bookworm because, you know, reading Mm -hmm. was a thing. And so I kind of leaned into that even more versus just doing it over to the side I was very confident in my reading skills. Yeah, yeah. Um, something that is a little uh, is less fluid is temperament. Mm. So tell yeah. tell us what what even is temperament? Temperament. So again, the way that you respond to um, different stimuli or different you know situations around you. And temperament can be really tricky just for the simple fact that um, it's, I think it's a lot, it's learned behaviors. And so while you may have, like personality, we're saying how it can be evident when you're a baby. Mm-hmm. I definitely believe that temperament is something that is um, translated through what they, through what we see. Right. And so it doesn't mean always, but for the most part, I think kids are a direct reflection of the temperament that they've, that they've witnessed. Okay. And it's a genetic, would you say? Yeah. Well, there, so... Again, there's that. This is always the debate between nature and nurture. But yes, there are <laughs> scientific components to the way that a person behaves, mm-hmm. genetic-wise. But again, I it just depends on which camp you're from. And I'm in the camp of nurture, mm-hmm. and so I do have a tendency to believe that nurturing and what happens and what's seen and what's witnessed and experienced plays a big part mm-hmm. in temperament. Yeah, and this is a little bit di- more difficult to change, but not 
not set in stone necessarily. Mm-mm. Not set in stone. And here's what's interesting, and I think this is the part that's difficult for parents. And I can I can speak from this from a personal perspective. When your child has a temperament that um, either mirrors your own, but is a problem at school, right? Like if you're a very, <laughs> if you have low patience and you're flying off the handle really quickly, and then that's mirror and that's being seen in the school, that becomes an embarrassment and it becomes a shame thing and something to where. Um, it's difficult for parents to hear and receive that feedback that your child is acting a certain way. Mm. And so temperament comes into question. Where are you getting this from? Well, you know, you kind of flop the the when, the, the when, when the waffles don't go right in the morning. And so it's in, um, I have a seven year old and he's, he's dealing with some behavioral issues at school. And so a lot of that, I have to circle back around to what am I, um, what am I displaying as far as my own temperament and thinking that I'm grown, I can do what I want, that's maybe being picked up on by him and then translating into how we solve problems or how we resolve things. Mm-hmm. And it could be simple things. You're in traffic. If you're having, you know, what is it? Uh, what is it called when you go back and forth in traffic with someone? Road rage. Road rage. And the child is in the backseat seeing that, even though you don't think it's impacting them, it impacts their temperament and how they believe we should handle stressful situations. Mm-hmm. So I think temperament is really tricky for parents because it, it, it definitely is a mirror situation because mm-hmm. it starts looking back at us. Yeah. And that can be uncomfortable. Yeah. And I say that from experience. Personal yes. experience, me as well. Um, yes. We are talking to Alicia Woodall uh, from Finding the Foundation. And uh, we are taking calls. If anybody would like to um, ask any questions, our number is 214-431-5062. So can you tell us a little, some of the the temperament, examples of temperament, different kinds of temperament? Yeah, so um, you have me on my toes today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so for temperament, right, there's intensity. There is, so, and all of these things that we're going to talk about, I think, are, exist on a, spe- on a spectrum, right? right? So you have those who are going to be high in intensity, low in intensity. Temperament-wise, um, there's intensity, there's regularity, sensitivity. Um, What's regularity? The ability to regulate your emotions. And so I may feel a certain way, but my ability to actually exert it in a way that's okay, okay. or a way that's um, suitable. And that's that also going to change with age. Changes with age, changes with environment mm-hmm. and um, experience, mm-hmm. right? Um, then there's sensitivity, approachability, and adaptability. Those are common. Um, I think so, like if you have somebody who has a really extreme um, anger, they're, they're less approachable. I'm not going to talk to this person because their approachability may be different than someone who is a little more approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to change my interaction with those people. And I think when you have these different types of interactions, that, again, we talk about personality, those type of types of things, your temperament dictates the formation of beha- of your personality because people interact with you differently right. based on those things, right? right? If I'm an approachable, if my temperament is la- uh, low on approachability, I may become or feel like I'm formed to this person who is not a friendly person, doesn't have a lot of friends, right. more isolative. Right. 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 Um, persistence is mm. another one. Yes. Mood. Mood is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, distractibility. Easy. <laughs> Talk about that. And t- so distractibility. And think about that with kids. I mean, especially when we're talking about small children, easily d- distractible, easily yes. distracted and um, difficult to focus on what's happening and, and maintaining those emotions. Emotional management is huge for this age group just because it's not easy for mm-hmm. kids. Are you familiar with the book Whole Brain? I've the heard Whole it. Brain Child? Talk, who wrote that? Do you remember who oh, wrote that? I can't remember okay. the author. Um, but I know that the book is amazing in helping parents understand the developmental of the brain mm-hmm. and how those things. So, you know, left being logic and right being your emotions. 
um, it just it it does a really good job explaining the breakdown from a developmental perspective. So if you're looking at developmental versus personality and being so fixated, mm-hmm. it really helps understand how that trajectory works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm and actually, what to expect in those ages. I'm very fascinated by the brain lately. We had a neuroscientist on um, who talked about um, uh, rewiring your brain with gratitude. Mm. And um, just talked about neuroplasticity and how that all works. And so I'm just fascinated by the fact that we can, we can change the way we think um, by doing making some changes and doing them regularly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. I think most people would be fascinated when they think about human sci- human behavior and brain science. If we more, if we were more aware of how that worked, I think people would be just fascinated and really put a lot of energy into learning more and understanding more about it and doing more about yes. it. It changes operation. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time because with my practice, what we're doing is focusing on heightened self awareness. The more you know about yourself, the better able you are to operate mm-hmm. in any situation. You just understand yourself. You understand the order of operations as it applies to me. Mm-hmm. And when you know that, you can function like that switchboard you have there. Your ability to operate that is going to be different than mine because you understand it better. You would be surprised. <laughs> Well, in theory, in theory, theory, your ability to operate that is going to be more better than mine. So that's it's just a different way of operating. And so I love brain science and Uh human behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm so fascinated by it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, that we are called school days. So Mm -hmm. how does personality impact uh, academic achievement? I think that's huge. Just like we were talking about earlier with employers. Right. So you have them. a classroom where we're all doing this one thing. It may work really well with certain kids, whereas this particular structure does not work well mm-hmm. with others. And so you, you notice the the, outbur- the outbursts, the tantrums, because they're just not agreeable with this specific, this specific type of setting. And so it plays a huge part, but I'm not sure how much accommodation you can do. Can you accommodate for 20 kids in a classroom? I don't think so. Um, it depends. I mean, so my husband actually is mm-hmm. doing something called the flipped classroom. The flipped You've classroom. Heard of that? No. So the flipped classroom is where you learn your lesson outside of school through video, right? So he'll either record he tells a video. You the video. He'll either record a video or he will um, um, find a video that will teach the lesson. And then when they come to school, then they actually. Um, they work on he he's able to work with them individually to you know he'll they ask questions in the video so he can go oh, okay this person didn't get this this person didn't get this and so they're able to work with them so really he's reinforcing what they've already learned at home nice so is in that case is he going around to each individual student doing one-on-one he does group 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 sessions Oh. So he's able to split the kids up. So they do kind of stations. Yeah. And so they work individually and then they eventually uh, rotate to him and they can work with him. So he Is this maybe a traditional school kids. that he's at? He's at a charter school, but uh-huh. he's, I think, the only one doing it at this school. Um, nice. But it's something that he learned a couple of years ago and started doing it when he was at a different school. And it hasn't been, you know, embraced because our, our school, our school system is very archaic and very... Oh. Um, resistant to change and um he was taught this in a professional development he's like this sounds awesome yeah (laughs) and it's actually worked really well yeah Mm -hmm. i know the old school antiquated version of just sit here while i teach is slowly fading Mm -hmm. you know classes are evolving into some you know smaller increments than what he's described what he's doing there but there's definitely an evolution from everybody face forward watch me at the chalkboard and this is how we're all going to learn right and that's i think that's come from the science of understanding this isn't working 
for everybody. It's right. definitely not working in a society where we are very much so tech driven. Then you're seeing more tech weaved into the classrooms. Mm -hmm. But it was had to happen. It was imperative that we change the school system in order to accommodate what we know to be true about personality and the social imp social impacts. In light of that, let me ask you. So academia has been moving away from focusing on learning styles, I've noticed lately. They're saying that there's not evidence to support that teaching to one's learning style is actually effective. But most of us would say that we certainly learn and respond differently to different types of teaching. Like I'm more visual, mm -hmm. you know, I mm -hmm. like to, to get my input visually and that helps me. So what are your thoughts about that? I, I, I agree with you. I think that we definitely, but again, I haven't the studies. I don't want to conflict with whatever they've studied. They've clearly <laughs> done the research, right? So <laughs> this is just an opinion, right? Um, they've done the research, but I agree. I think that depending on your learning style makes a huge difference. But um, that said, I think there is a way that you can teach to where it's that maybe the sentiments are taught, but maybe it doesn't, it won't be grasped the same by each individual person based on the fact that if you're auditory and everything is written, you know what I mean? So there are things that would matter, variables that would matter, but at the end of the day, I think there are ways that it can be taught mm -hmm. to the whole classroom. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. What are some ways that I would need to advocate for my child with his or her personality at the school? Yeah, well, you know, with teacher conferences, maybe communicating what you know to be true about your child and what you found to be most effective. A lot of teachers are leaning into the collaborative working with the parent. And so they'll, like my son specifically, will create a different um, behavioral chart that is, that I believe, applicable to him and what I think works for him. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to gauge his day differently than just it was good or bad. I understand, was he respectful? Were there things that, was he able to calm his emotions during reading time? Things like that. And so I think working with the teacher about what you know to be true about your child, what you know to be evident in your interaction with your child and helping advocate for in including some of those types of things in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, I think pairing, making sure that your child is paired with the right teacher. You know, I've often wondered about that because it seems like such a random draw mm -hmm. in most in most cases. And, you know, I can speak to showing up to the and being like, oh, OK, this is the teacher we're going with this year. And it may not. You can tell automatically based on what you know to be true. It may not be the best fit. Um, I just don't know how much can be done about the way that they select mm -hmm. that. I think that would be a huge advocation for your child to say, I think this teacher would work well with his personality. Yeah. I think that in some in some ways you have to just kind of let it ride a little bit and see how it goes and if it's really really not working mm -hmm. then um it, they they can make a change for you. Yeah, and yeah. so you can advocate for a room change? Mhm. Mm yeah. I I mean depending on the school. Yeah. It's not going to be all schools. Yeah. But yeah. And also um, just making sure that, you know, even the learning environment is because we have so many options now with school choice. We have different charter schools and private schools and things like that. And just um, looking at how the the school is structured, I think, is another thing, because um, if you've got a child that maybe is um, needs to move more, or, um, you know, there's these these schools called expeditionary learning schools mm -hmm. where they do a lot of um, project based learning and they go out into the environment and do different things. And so just um, looking at what your different options I think are for your kids. Uh, yeah, I actually am a product of a different um, learning model. I graduated from an alternative school. It's a small fun fact. And this, <laughs> <laughs> I was very independent in thought and um, just I was able to complete classes in a normal school setting or complete the work, but I just didn't feel like sitting through the classes. I was oh. able to take the information, complete the test, do whatever needs to be done, but I didn't want to sit there like most students. And so ultimately, due to other variables, I ended up at an alternative program, and this program was much more independent driven. So you just had to get your work done by a certain amount of time, get your credits, 
and go on. So it was a def it was a different learning model at the time that I believe most people looked at and frowned upon almost. Right. But in hindsight, I know that it was best for my personality just because it worked for me. Mm-hmm. I was able to thrive and I did so, you know, pretty quickly. And what what type of it was it just called an alternative it's school just or called alternative. It just a so, certain type of learning? Yeah, well, so here's the thing. It was alternative for alternative behavior. So oh, I was okay. yeah, I was that child. Okay. Um that ended up at alternative but I think when I look back again, it was more than just alternative behavior because what they did was they placed you in these settings where you had to be independent and you had to work with other people around you. That worked for me. And so what they thought was just about alternative behavior really was alternative learning because it, it helped us advance in different ways. A lot of us were successful in that setting and hadn't been in a traditional school setting. Okay, yeah. So regarding the types of more motivation, what are some some strategies we can use uh, for kids that are more intrinsically motivated, more extrinsically motivated? There's two other mm-hmm. types that I don't, don't completely understand, but what yeah. are some things we can do? So intrinsic, again, so we're talking about things that fuel within and so being able to have a conversation with your child about what is motivational to them what is what what's important to them and then framing whatever your motivation is based on what's important for them what fuels them within um external being more of those things that they can actually see and again it just takes you being attuned to am i close enough attuned (laughs) to what (laughs) to what works for your specific child um and so if your child is more intrinsic and they find that what's empowering to them is to feel successful or to know that they're being needed then you would create different motivational factors that, that that do that right like at home um my son is more external extrinsic and so it is a matter of putting things on a board that he can see and he can Mm. actually visualize these things I'm making progress here based on this color and so we have a system there Um, intrinsic is not going to be as responsive to that it's much more how they feel like feeling really good about what I've done okay so like telling him oh you've done a great job and Mm -hmm. you know really pumping him up like Mm -hmm. that okay Yeah. yeah Um, we all want our kids to be intrinsically motivated because that's kind of the the idea to move towards so that the, we're not having to rah-rah them yeah. all the time. So what, what can we do to help them grow from intru- intrinsic to wanting things more for themselves? Meaning wanting things for them, wanting things more for themselves outside of what they are, what they desire? Outside of me having to, you know, pump them up and do that. Oh, well, I mean, so if we think about doing this early on with a child who we know to be more of an intrinsically motivated person, those things become habitual. And Mm -hmm. so if we're doing that through their childhood, and we talked about evolution of personality, it evolves into that next level to where it's not necessarily mom having to to do these things for me, but I've evolved to the place to where I now do them for myself. Mm -hmm. But it it comes from habitually doing it as a parent Mm -hmm. to where then it becomes more normative for them as they grow. Right. Right. It's not necessarily that they graduate per se, but things change, situations evolve, and now I don't have mom at college to do this for me. Mm-hmm. You know, what fuels me? Mm-hmm. Another thing that I've noticed with myself um, and probably one of my kids is that providing autonomy in doing something, mm. um, kind of giving them ownership of it. I work better personally when somebody versus somebody giving me a task, a task, a task, a task, somebody giving me ownership of a project and saying, here, go do this, this project and get that done. That helps me personally. So feeling as if you're over, it's your responsibility to get it done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing I think of inviting 
um, kids to come to things. So, so like we were having difficulty with um, my daughter going to ballet. I don't know what happened because last year she was fine with ballet. Uh-huh. But this year we, we offered to allow her um, to have a, a friend with her. And I've noticed that, you know, if you kind of have community with you, that might be more motivating if you have a friend coming to something so like that. So it motivated her to have a friend come? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. What, what do you find your daughter to be? Is she extrinsic? Very, yeah. very extrinsically motivated. Okay. Yeah. She wants the, the praise and she wants the, she's the gold star kid. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So can we talk a little bit about what happens in the brain regarding motivation? What is the, the thing that causes us to be motivated? Stim- so stimulated or stimuli, um, again, how that varies based on person. Mm-hmm. But what happens in the brain is if you have that stimulus, think I like to use the analogy of like, substance abuse like right so the Mm. substances that make us feel good in that moment and it changes the brain in that way um muscle memory wise if we know this feels good and it motivates us to do to do well it's going to work over and over and over again so whatever that is whatever that stimulus might be Mm -hmm. we know that that's going to give us this specific feeling or response Mm -hmm. yeah is is there a a situation with dopamine Mm -hmm. and absolutely how does that work so You, you would ask me that question oh. about how dopamine works. Oh. <laughs> so how can I explain it easily? Um, are you familiar with serotonin? Yeah, a little. Okay. So how decrease serotonin in depression, right? So when you have an increase of dopamine, you're going to have that feeling. You're going to a rush of feeling better, feeling good mm-hmm. versus a decrease in your serotonin, which would cause depression or a depressed state. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we get kind of a, a spike of dopamine when we're motivated with something. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And a spike of dopamine is going to keep you going. I want, I want to motivate it. Moti- motivation it motivates yeah. me to do more of that because I've received this. So what can we do to make that happen? Like to, to cause that to happen? Are there certain events or things that we can do with our kids to kind of increase the dopamine and get them motivated? Sure. Based on what motivates them. Right. Based on what motivates their behavior. And if you once you know that and understand it and you're doing it on a regular, consistent basis, then absolutely it's going to continue to motivate your child. Like mm-hmm. Just knowing what works for them mm-hmm. matters. Yeah. And I think, it, go, go ahead. ahead. It's OK. Oh, I think also celebrating small accomplishments mm-hmm. is helpful with kids uh, versus waiting until the end and we've we we've achieved the goal and kind of hey we've we've met this benchmark we've missed it and they do that in schools yeah too. yeah well being no, being aware and noticing what's happening and what's taking but what is or isn't working and that could be with rewarding and being able to say i noticed that you didn't like that or i noticed that wasn't so mm-hmm. acknowledgement of seeing them matters when they feel seen and they feel like the, you're, you're observing what's happening that plays a part mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah so celebrating the wins but also being able to acknowledge what happened in the not so wins so what do we do when, um, well, as parents, we have a tendency, or okay, I'll own this, I'll just <laughs> say it myself. I have a tendency to um, want to motivate my kids in the way that I'm motivated. So mm-hmm. what can we do to, because um, that just doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. So what can we do to kind of come outside of our own um, thoughts and opinions about what should motivate somebody yeah. and do it the correct way that's actually going to be effective? Talking to them. I know I know a lot of my parents they have that's one of their least favorite answers because they're like well duh of course I talk to them right but talking to them and understanding what what works for them and what they believe to be true and it may not even make sense to you but they believe it to be true right. as far as this would work for me mom mm-hmm. and being able to be flexible 
in hearing that information and then translating into what works for your household. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the greatest things for parents, because we have all these different things we can look into and understand and explore and research. And at the end of the day, if we just research the kid itself, beyond these different titles and the different traits and the different things that are out there. And I say, I understand you to be this based on what I've observed in my interaction with you and just tailor our parenting to that. Are there other needs that we need to be paying attention to? Because maybe your child is not motivated for a specific reason, Mm -hmm. that there's something else going on. What are some of the other things that we need to be paying attention to? Yeah, emotional awareness. Um, I read a study somewhere that said as early as like two years old, we, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's intentional, but we try to, we kind of mute that, stop all that crying, Mm. you know, um, get yourself together. And we, we, we promote them being these sound individuals without really exploring what that, what that emotion is about, because we have deduced that it's because of something simple or no big deal versus challenging them to express what that emotion was. And so if there was one area that I think we're, um, least focused on it's the emotionality of kids and feeling that they don't start to feel anything until they get older and then they start having these feelings but they've had feelings from the moment they're born and we just don't really explore that part of it mm-hmm. um challenging them to express their feelings that it's rare when you're what is it that you're crying about and not just saying it in a condescending way like why are you crying but more so understanding what is the emotion that you're feeling for this moment right yeah it's it's one of the more um widely ignored areas of human functionality and it plays a, a huge part in their ability to express when they get older because mm. it's just not it's not discussed it's not challenged mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what about any physical needs mental needs as far as they're lacking yeah any reason why they might not be motivated because there's some other needs that we're not addressing oh i mean sure from a physical percent like nutrition or what mm-hmm. do you mean sickness illness yeah, well, I think, but parents, I think, are pretty attuned to the physical part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, we feed our, you know, your kid's supposed to eat, because if they don't eat, then their brain functions differently or poorly. Um, but I think parents are, the things that we can see, feel, and touch, pretty okay. It's the things that we can't see. Again, that emotional piece that I think is more ignored. But I think you know as a parent whether or not your child is, you know, mel- is their nutrition, are they receiving the nutrition that they need? Are they um, receiving the exercise that they need as far as activity? Like, those things are more evidently seen than how they feel. How about you know, like learning disabilities and mental illness and things like that? Because it could be that they're just not, you know, they have ADHD or they have, you know, um, what is it, dyslexia, that there's mm-hmm. maybe another reason that they're not motivated to be achieving in school. Some more academic, that would be more with the collaborative with the teacher mm-hmm. and being able to say, what are you, tell me what you're seeing in the classroom. Yeah. And then from there having a collaboration, of, this is what I'm seeing at home. This does sound like or present as ADHD. Because sometimes what's happening in the classroom may not be evident at home. And if that's the case, then that's not the right diagnosis mm-hmm. per se. Um, but again, that collaboration with the teacher matters. And being able to see how is my child learning in your classroom or not learning mm-hmm. or responding. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about incentivizing your kids? I like it. You like it? I, yeah. I mean, I've heard different arguments about why it is or isn't good. But I think that most things in life are incentivized. So I don't really see a problem with doing it with our children and behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's going to work just for the sake of saying they're going to work. There's an incentive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we everything that most things that adults do has an incentive behind it, you know, and so to do that with children seems like the, a logical, a logical um, 
avenue mm-hmm. but i've heard both i've heard both reviews you know but i was a, i was a child that received money for grades i did too so i didn't i definitely didn't see a problem with it ten dollars per a yeah <laughs> and that mattered it mattered uh-huh. to me and it it worked for me as far as my motivation mm-hmm. um i didn't see it as a hindrance but i have heard where some people see it from a behavioral hindrance what are some um, of the negatives for incentivizing? Well, negative being that you don't always get paid for good behavior, whereas I disagree. It may not be a monetary payment, but the payment for good behavior could be that you're just more responsive or people are more kind to you or people invite you to things. Or, mm-hmm. So there are other social um, rewards than money. Mm-hmm. It's just that we're using money for this specific incentive, right? right? But it doesn't mean that I think it happens across the board in society. Mm-hmm. So the negative would be that you don't get rewarded for behavior in normal, but I believe that you do. Yeah. So it's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, unfortunately we are out of time. Did it go that quickly? I told you it would. <laughs> yes, it did. I'm like, that was great. And that was quick. It was quick. Yeah. But thank you so much for joining us. That was very helpful information. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the questions. You kept me on my toes. <laughs> So School Days is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation, so we always want to let you guys know what's going on with Noggin. If you happen to be in the DFW area and would like to lend us a hand, we would love for you to join us. We're in the process of getting a jump on organizing activities for our summer math and reading program. And we welcome students who want to get some of their volunteer hours before the semester is over. So drop me a line at Danita at NogginFoundation.org. That's D-O-N-E-D-A. And whether you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area or not, there are plenty of ways to help us by donating your time. Head to BeTheLight.life and explore all the ways you can volunteer with Noggin Educational Foundation. Next week on School Days, we will sit down with school counselors Tiffany Salazar and Stephanie Threets, who actually has been on our show before, to discuss dating violence, and warning signs to watch, talking to your child about developing healthy relationships, and how dating violence can impact learning. And David will be back in the co-host chair with me, so don't forget to share with your parent friends about that one. And as always, head to our website, schooldazedshow.com, for more information about all that we're doing and all the resources that we mention on School Days. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And last but not least, we always want to end our show by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the strength that we need to help us um, raise our kids into flourishing and adults. And if you'd like to know more about that, feel free to email us at info at schooldazedshow.com. Have a great week. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.